0: This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor in chief, David Wildstein.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. The ink on New Jersey's new map after legislative redistricting it is it is barely dry. It was just eight days ago that the apportionment commission approved. Uh, a historic consensus map. It was agreed to by Democrats and Republicans. It's a, a new map that redrew the state's 40 legislative districts. It's already having a huge impact on politics in the Garden State. And so how did both parties come to an agreement on one map that will either protect Democratic majorities in the state Senate and the Assembly over the next eight years? or lead to a Republican takeover of the New Jersey legislature. Republicans have been out of power since 2001. Uh, I will be joined today by the three men who worked together to achieve a deal map. It was the first consensus legislative map in New Jersey history. So I'll be joined by Philip Karchman. He is a retired appellate court judge, who was the court-appointed independent tiebreaker. Uh, This is his first interview since that map was approved. And by the two party leaders who led the Apportionment Commission, Democratic State Chairman Leroy Jones and Essex County Republican Chairman Al Barless. Uh, I'm going to ask the three how they redefined the way redistricting works in New Jersey. So you're not going to want to miss anything that they have to say. And coming up later in the show... I will be joined by Congressman Christopher Smith. He is a New Jersey Republican. He's the senior member of the U.S. House of Representatives Foreign Affairs Committee. We are going to speak about Russia's decision to invade Ukraine. Congressman Chris Smith is is an expert on international policy on human rights. So when he speaks about Russia, he's speaking from authority and from 40 years of foreign policy experience. So please don't go anywhere. Uh, and, and while the New Jersey Globe intensely focuses on on politics, on local politics in New Jersey, what's what's happening in the world right now? I mean, it's it's infinitely more important than legislative redistricting and, and local elections. I, I get that. We're we're all watching the Ukrainian military resist their Russian invaders. We're seeing civilians organically organize paramilitary groups to to protect Kiev from uh russian army we're we're watching people huddle in air raid shelters as they protect their families uh, so as we shift back to a discussion on on the effects of, of redistricting I'm, I'm glad that congressman chris smith will join me it'll be about 4:45, 45 uh, and you'll hear his views on what's happening in ukraine uh, but for now let's go back to new jersey politics legislative redistricting set off you know, I, I think it's fair to say a seismic shift in hudson county politics but the war that we were all waiting to watch—a uh, Democratic primary between two giants, state senators Nicholas Sacco and Brian Stack. Uh, this this war that we were going to watch was going to happen because after redistricting, they were going to be in the same legislative district. Uh, this was going to be the 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 primary of all primaries. Uh, I mean, it was a it was a game of political musical chairs. It was two seats becoming one. Uh, And the new mat had limited options, Uh, the development in Jersey city and Hoboken and the rest of Hudson County, this, this incredible surge in population that we saw after the 2020 census. uh, It made this a difficult puzzle to assemble and, and Nick Sacco and Brian Stack, they are two of the most powerful politicians in the state. I mean, they're titans. Sacco is the, the mayor of North Bergen. He's been in the Senate since he ousted a incumbent Jersey City senator in the 1991 Democratic primary. Uh, Stack is the mayor of Union City. He's been a senator since 2007. I mean, there is, there is nobody in New Jersey, maybe nobody on the planet, who delivers constituent service like Brian Stack does, and he is the king of GOTV. Uh I mean, the, the, the guy is a one-man machine, and he and, and he's also the new chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. So he is at the pinnacle of his power. Uh, and and they're of they're of they're they're longtime colleagues Stack and Sacco, but they're they're different generations. Uh, Senator Sacco, Mayor Sacco, is, is about twenty years older. But the idea of Stack and Sacco running against each other in a Democratic primary next year, I mean, it it would have been like watching Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams or or Mickey Mantle and Willie Mays compete in a home run derby. Uh, But if you know Nick Sacco and Brian Stack, you know that they don't like any grass growing under their feet. So this Hudson County war, I was going to call it a war, but it's a war ad. It got settled in just a few days. The crisis has been averted. Stack-O, Sacco announced on Thursday that he, he won't run for re election. He endorsed Stack, so did Governor Phil Murphy. In turn, Stack endorsed Sacco for re election as mayor of North Bergen next year, so did Murphy. There were a lot of moving pieces. Part of the deal uh, between the two senators uh, is we'll probably see some changes. In the state assembly, uh, Pedro Mejia, a three-term lawmaker from Secaucus, first Dominican to ever serve in the New Jersey legislature. Uh, I think I think time is running out on him. Stack, uh, Sacco gets to pick an assemblyman from North Bergen, uh, and I think that'll be to replace Mejia. Now it looks like Town Commissioner Julio Marenko. Uh, he's now a member of the state parole board. Stack gets to pick the person to fill the other assembly seat. With the... Adv- uh, with the advice and consent of Gabe Rodriguez, the mayor of West New York, and Weehawken Mayor Richard Turner. And that means that a six-term assemblywoman, Angelica Jimenez, she is in real danger of just losing her seat. There just may not be a place for her. And, and as part of this piece of court, SACO's chief of staff, Anthony Veneery, he's also the chairman of the Hudson County Board of Commissioners. Uh, Commissioner Veneri is poised to become the next Hudson County Democratic chairman. And there's speculation that Tom Jajeese, the Hudson county executive for for almost twenty years, uh, that he might be getting ready to retire the the leading candidate to replace him uh, is his own chief of staff, Craig Guy. Uh, it seems that everyone in Hudson county it doesn't matter what faction of the party you come from it, it includes even Republicans everybody likes craig guy he 's a, he's a competent, nice, likable person so So this transition could be be seamless uh, for the open Senate seat uh, the seat that 's now one of two Senate seats for Jersey City. well, that race took about two hours to decide and actually it took a little less. It took two hours, including the time it took to write the press release and the the winner of that one hundred and twenty minute campaign was Assembly Judiciary Committee Chairman Raj Mukherjee. He's got the, the backing of Jersey City Mayor Steve Fulop, uh, Ravi Bala, the mayor of Hoboken, uh, Brian Stack, and Governor Murphy. Uh, so over the next two years, we're going to see a, a, a shift in generations uh, in Hudson County's power uh, structure. Uh, a much younger group of people are going to begin to take over. I mean, Mukherjee, I've known him since he was 15 years old, uh, uh and the next likely congressman from Hudson County, Rob Menendez, they are both under 40. Uh, and it took Menendez, and he's the son of New Jersey senior United States senator, it took Menendez, it's about four days to lock up party support for the congressional seat of Albio Sirius. And Sirius is retiring after after 16 years. So, so, like I said, things move very quickly in Hudson County. We're talking about 22 and twenty in 23 races, some of these not till next year, most of these not till next year. Uh, This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, I want to talk about something else. I mean, one of the changes that we've seen during the pandemic is virtual meetings of government bodies at the local and state level. I mean, platforms like Zoom have made it possible for meetings of zoning boards and local council meetings, redistricting commission meetings, even the state legislature and the courts uh, to meet virtually uh, for elected officials to vote remotely. I mean, technology has made a a system possible that hasn't always been the case, but now as mask mandates begin to be lifted, uh, elected officials are going to have to make a decision and that includes judges uh, they 're going to need to decide whether they're going to continue to allow the public to watch them meet remotely are are, are they going to recognize that remote access to public meetings is is good for democracy and 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 to be to be very clear, elected officials don't always want the public to watch them making the sausage judges don 't necessarily like to see their courtrooms full of spectators. And I mean, going back to the days before Zoom, in a way, was easier for them, maybe better for them. Uh, and before I, I tell all of you a story uh, about about uh, American politics, I, I, I want to mention something else. and And that's this thing that is called abstentions. It's when an elected official on a recorded vote doesn't have to vote yes or no. Instead, they can They can abstain. Uh, And personally, I don't love this abstaining thing, Uh, most especially when it's a a major vote that deals with a serious issue. Uh, Maybe I'm a little old fashioned, but I think voters elect folks to serve in public office, to hopefully vote their conscience, to vote yes or no, to take a position one way or the other but not to abstain. And I want to tell you, it is a classic story in American politics, uh, uh, but I want, it's one that I think is important uh, as successive generations learn about the lessons of our past. So, so I take you back to the summer of 1964 when the United States Senate was preparing to break a filibuster on the Civil Rights Act. Uh, it was a 53-year-old Democratic senator from California, uh, named Claire Engel, and he was battling a life-threatening brain tumor. Uh, this was summer of sixty-four. Uh, he was a senator, and and there was there was a lot of pushback on the Civil Rights Act from senators uh, in the South. Uh, the vote is scheduled. Uh, senator Engel arrives at the Capitol in an ambulance, uh, and several of his aides and, and 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 medical professionals carry him onto the floor of the United States Senate. On a stretcher, uh, the tumor had left Senator Engel without the ability to speak. Uh, he was fifty three years old. Uh, he could no longer speak, but that didn't mean uh, that, that he, he he didn't have these strong convictions that he had had throughout his career. So when his name was called to vote, when they were doing the roll call, and they called Mr. Engel, he slowly lifted his arm and he pointed to his eye a signal that he wished to be recorded as I. And that cloture motion uh, passed by just three votes. And and Senator Engel returned to the Senate. It was nine days later to support the passage of the Civil Rights Act. Claire Engel died a month later. His legacy, not just on civil rights, but as a man who who felt so strongly about his responsibility, his duty to cast his vote on a historic, uh, game-changing law not to abstain, not to be absent. uh, But he decided that he was going to do his job no matter what until the very end. Uh, So as our elected officials go to Trenton or Washington or or to their borough halls and school board meetings, uh, uh, as they mull a choice between Public access to government meetings uh, or less are they are they going to have more or less access will will the courts be open to the public so that 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 anybody can can go online and watch a a, a court hearing or or will they make you go back to the old way of of driving to the courthouse and waiting uh, to see what 's happening, no matter what it is, no matter what level of government it is i just i hope they 'll remember the legend of Senator Claire Engel. Uh, I will be right back with what I think is going to be two great uh, segments. It's actually three segments. Uh, I will speak with Philip Karchman, the retired appellate court judge who served as legislative redistricting tiebreaker along with democratic state chairman, Leroy Jones and Essex County Republican chairman, Al Barless. They are the men who were responsible uh, for the new legislative map for this historic Uh, uh, consensus map between the two parties. And coming up around 445, I will speak about Russia's invasion of Ukraine with Congressman Chris Smith. He is a he is the senior member of the House Foreign Relations uh, Committee. Uh, You are not going to want to miss a word of what any of them, Judge Karchman, Chairman, jones and barless and congressman smith you're not going to want to miss anything they have to say so please stay right where you are and keep listening this is david wildstein and you're listening to the new jersey globe power hour on talk radio 77 wabc
0: this is the new jersey globe power hour on talk radio 77 wabc here's the globe's editor-in-chief david wildstein
1: New Jersey is talking about redistricting. I am joined by former Judge Philip Karchman. He is the independent 11th member of the New Jersey Apportionment Commission and the the chairs of two parties, Leroy Jones, the New Jersey Democratic State Chairman and Essex County Republican Chairman Al Barless. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you for coming on.
2: Thank you, David. And
1: and let me let me start, Judge Karchman. I mean, the the stakes on legislative redistricting were extraordinarily high. We're talking about a map that's going to take New Jersey through the rest of the decade. We're we're living in 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 hugely partisan times. It seems to me that both parties left this process with a final map that they felt was fair. So so as other states are looking at it and, and, and squabbling over this, what is your secret? How did you do this? (laughs)
3: <laughs>
2: uh, I, I, there's no secret, and I think in good measure, um, we were fortunate because we had two leaders uh, on the Republican side and the Democratic side who were, who were true leaders. And I think uh, early on, you know, we, we uh, spoke to each other. We were candid with each other. We saw the possibility of, uh, of this happening. And uh, we continued forward, you know, and what was most important, you know, from my perspective, uh, there weren't going to be any secrets on my part. Everything was going to be um, out in the open, no surprises. Uh, everyone knew where I was coming from. And um, I think the the uh, chairs were candid with me, very helpful. And we moved along. Uh, you know, we, we had two tracks. uh we were, we were, you know, moving towards uh, the possibility of a consensus map, and yet at the same time, uh, all parties were, were representing their respective interests. I've used the term before, fiercely and and uh, uh, as strong advocates. And in the end, uh, you know, we made something happen, which uh, you know, hopefully, will serve the interests of, of the people of New Jersey. And, and I'm confident that will be the
1: case. And, and Chairman Jones, you, 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 you I, I've known you a long time. I've known Chairman Barless a long time. You are you're you're both fiercely partisan. You advocated for your 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 your, uh, your legislators and, and, and uh, uh, looking for majorities for each party. But the chairman Jones, you you also in your comments said this. This is a fair and reasonable map. Yeah,
4: I mean, Al, that's- I mean, David, you know, it was just that. It was fair and reasonable, fair and representative, you know. And as the judge, you know, just so eloquently framed it out, you know, we were, you know, focused on, you know, one, you know, making sure that, you know, we, you know, had two tracks going, you know, always, you know, thinking about, you know, the possibility of competitive maps. But at the same time you know we uh you know were sharply focused on the possibility of a consensus map uh you know where there is uh you know a lack of uh you know uh you know bipartisan in uh you know in governments uh you know across the across the nation and you know sometimes in the state uh you know this became uh you know a different kind of model uh you know one that you know we can look back on and be proud of uh you know the judge mentioned that uh you know al and i were, you know, were chairs that, you know, were reasonable, you know, were, you know, we worked with a lot of candor with each other, but I, you know, I do have to mention that the judge was, you know, a unifying, you know, force, you know, he, you know, had a steady hand, you know, he was very firm, you know, with respect to, you know, what he would like to see in terms of transparency, you know, and, you know, and input from the public, and, you know, we accomplished that. So, uh, you know, so all in all, uh, you know, I think the
1: outcome was, uh, you know, fair and representative. And Chairman Barless, I mean, you're minority party for 20 years. You're, you know, you're you're, you're hopeful that lightning will strike and, and that you might be able to uh, to make gains in the legislature. You You also walked away from this process happy.
3: Yeah, Dave, I think this process showed to everybody what can be done if both sides, actually all sides, realize that everybody is entitled to give the voters a competitive map. And ultimately what they decide to do with it is entirely up to them. And, you know, Dave, you mentioned that, you know, I'm a partisan, Leroy's a partisan. It's funny, a lot of people have asked, how'd you guys do it? Excuse me. And this is how Leroy and I are with each other, even in our own county, right? I mean, we both understand that we have roles to play and jobs to do and we do it, and we respect what the other person has to do. But at the same time, we don't let that interfere or get in front of our own mutual like and admiration and trust for each other. And I think at the end of the day, that's what allowed us to have the conversation with, the, with that we did to get to a consensus map. And then as Leroy said, you know, when when you've got a, uh, a velvet hammer like uh, Judge Karchman that we did, it just enabled us to – to get to a product that as we started out when we had our first meeting that we all hoped would be something historic and something that we could all be
1: proud of. And Judge Karchman, I mean, you, you spoke about transparency and that this is this is one of the things that this was one of my takeaways. This is what I'm hearing from over and over from activists and from from leaders from both parties, which is you, you put out your criteria. You said this is what I'm looking for. Uh, this is the map that's that, that's going to make me happy. You. You had an early submission and then you had another public hearing. I mean, I I don't even know how many people testified at these hearings and and submitted maps to you. But but is one of your takeaways is is transparency uh, a hugely important part of of mediating a redistricting process?
2: Well, you know, I never use the term transparency. Um, And uh, and frankly, I don't know why I have such an aversion to the word, but what. What I was focused on, and and uh, ultimately, you know, we reached a, a consensus on this issue, was letting the public see some maps, letting the public get a sense of what this process looked like. And in answer to your question, how many people uh, testified, we had 160, uh, I believe that was the number, uh, sign up to testify after those two maps were published. And... You know, I think what happens in the end is when the public sees something like that, they gain a sense of confidence, that they understand what's going on. And that confidence serves the interests of both parties. It, it's not a negative. It's an it's absolute positive. And I think ultimately what was proved was it was a win-win for everybody. It was a win-win for the partisan interests, the parties. It was a win-win for the public, so you know I, I would hope that the future, um, in in future uh, apportionment issues, redistricting issues, that uh, these maps come out and are published and you know generate the same sort of
1: response that we had. And your Honor, you you talked uh, previously uh, in in when you when you publicly announced what your criteria was, you, you talked about how important it was for minority majority districts uh, for, for competitiveness. Do you, do you feel that this map hit the goals that you had in mind? This, this consensus map?
2: Look, there's, you know, I, I think it's not perfect. I, I know we, that. Yeah. But, and that that's critical. And that was sort of my theme in my closing remarks, you know, Everyone has has a different interest in the outcome of of, uh, a process such as this. And some say there should have been more minority districts. Some say there should have been more competitive districts. Some even said, you know, the districts weren't that compact. So at least no one complained about them being contiguous. So we take some (laughs) solace in that. But um, in the end, these maps are not perfect. They will never be perfect. So we, you know, we aspire to to uh, certain standards. I think on all standards, you know, we didn't hit the exact mark that many of the interests would have. But we certainly came close and we developed a fair map. And fairness is really the end game in this in this uh, in this entire process. So, you know, even with with. The critics and the criticism, if everyone takes a step back and looks at the map and they say, yeah, I can complain about this, I can complain about that. But at the end of the day, hey, this is a fair map for everyone. And again, and I'll keep, probably repeat this two or more, two or three more times. It's a fair map for the people of New Jersey. And that's what everyone aspires to. And
1: uh, Chairman, I'll start with Chairman Barliss. We, we talk about competitiveness. I count. You know depending on the year, depending upon the political environment, I think I think as much as a quarter of the the districts in the state are are potentially competitive.
3: Yeah, they very well might be right. And Dave, you're right. it depends on the environment. it depends on the climate. certainly twenty twenty one proved that districts that we didn't think were competitive uh, were competitive and districts that we didn't think were flippable because of past election results and you know previous attempts to flip them had not been successful, we saw that they can be flipped. And that's ultimately, I believe, what we all wanted, uh, to the judge's point and and, and to Leroy's point as well, is give the people a product where at the end of the day, when they go to vote on November, whatever it is, any given year, they can decide who's going to be in charge and by how much. And that's not a bad thing. And I believe that's what what we ended up with today. And, you know, if the map changes control, great. If it doesn't, fine. If it makes a few more districts more competitive and margins get closer, okay, that's also not a bad thing.
1: And Chairman, you, you see this also, there's there's a lot of potentially competitive races, uh, not just in 2023, but in, in for the rest of the decade.
5: Yeah, well,
4: you know, David, as you know, Al just pointed out, you know, competitive is based on you know the environment and you know what you know what's in the air at that given point in time. You know, certainly 2021, you know, was a lesson learned for you know for a lot of us. And you know, as we move into you know new legislative cycles and and new years, you know, we're going to see the the atmosphere change you know there's certainly been a change from uh november of twenty twenty one uh to date uh you know and you know if elections were held uh today, I think you would perhaps see you know some uh you know some differences so uh you know competitiveness is you know is based on you know certainly uh you know the the atmosphere uh you know what's in the air uh you know what's on people's minds at that given point in time, but it's also based on uh the caliber of candidates that uh you put up and uh, the intensity that uh, you put into that election prop, uh, process in terms of uh, its operation, its strategies, and what have you.
1: That's fair. And, and I'm I'm joined by, by former Judge Philip Karchman. He was the uh, independent 11th member of the, the Redistricting Commission, uh, Democrat Leroy Jones, Republican Al Barless. They have generously agreed to to return after our break, and we're going to talk more about – New Jersey Legislative Redistricting. Uh, This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.
0: This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, I'm joined by Philip Karchman, retired judge. Independent tiebreaker of the New Jersey Apportionment Commission, Democratic State Chairman Leroy Jones, and Essex County Republican Chairman Al Barless. We are talking about legislative redistricting in New Jersey, and and Judge Karchman. I think you you had something more that you want to add from the wanted to add from the last segment.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, I agree with, with what uh, Chairman Barless and Chairman Jones just said, and one of the the uh, points that I made in my closing uh, remarks was, you know. Uh, folks worry about what the map looks like in, in 2022, what it's going to look like in 2023, and these are all legitimate concerns. But this is a map for a decade, and this is a map that's going to last 10 years. And if we reflect on it, if we think back to 10 years ago, could we have ever imagined what New Jersey politics would look like 10 years after the adoption of that map? So, you know, again... To those who express concern about the map in 2022, you know, take a longer view and think about what the map is going to look like in 20, what politics will look like in 2030. I agree so, with you. Uh, you know, that's that's my thought about
1: it. I, I agree. And, you know, one of the things people don't think about is, is there are fourth graders right now that will be voting in legislative races uh, under the effects of this map that you passed last week. So, so th- a lot of a lot of new people be coming in and, and and we don't we don't know how they're going to vote or how they're going to view on, on different issues. But but um, Judge Karchman, I want, I want to ask you about ask you about Jersey City, because that was a big factor in this. And 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 there was a debate about splitting Jersey City, whether it should be into two districts or or three districts. Uh, how how important was 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 the threat of of litigation of of Jersey City. Uh, uh, it was Mayor Fulop who objected to uh, splitting it into more than two. How important was was that in your belief that, that you should just leave Jersey City as it was into, into no more than two districts?
2: Well, I'm going to make an admission. I don't even know if I told Chairman Barless and Chairman Jones about this. I was not aware of Mayor Fulop's letter until um, after I, I had been thinking about the issue of of uh, the two and three on, on uh, Jersey city. And again, you know, I, I'm not going to violate any confidences and any discussions that, that I had with the chairs or the commission, but I'll just tell you, you know, some of my own thinking. And that was, um, there was a case while all of, you know, while we were in this process, there was a case that came out of Alabama in the United States Supreme court, which Uh, raised the issue of the Voting Rights Act and how the United States Supreme Court might address the Voting Rights Act in the future. Now, the case happened to be a congressional redistricting case, and of course, we're dealing with state apportionment. But uh, that was of of concern to me. And, and, uh, you know, I read Justice Kavanaugh's concurring opinion. I'm not going to go into the weeds of of what they said, but it certainly raised a red flag in my mind that if if the Voting Rights Act is implicated in decision making in New Jersey, um, you know, be careful because the the uh, United States Supreme Court um, may be taking a different look at that. Again, you know, this is this is more the judge in me and the lawyer in me reacting, um, but. You know, I can say candidly it was not a result of of Mayor Fulop's letter, which I which I then read. and, And, you know, he he raised some issues that that had to be considered. But my initial reaction was based on the United States Supreme Court action rather than than the mayors.
1: And Chairman Jones, I mean, you your initial submission split Jersey City into into three districts is is this something you think the legislature should address going forward? Uh, so that by the time everybody comes back in 2031 to do this again, uh, less than eight years from now, that that there's some clarity as to to what what everybody's instructions should be. Yeah, I think that would be helpful.
4: Um, you know, and uh, you know, like the judge says, you know, rather than getting into the weeds on this, uh, you know, because I don't want to you know violate any attorney-client privileges. You know, we were all bound with uh, you know the a degree of confidentiality with respect to uh, you know the legal aspects of the operations of the apportionment commission but uh you know i think uh you know as we move forward um you know just uh you know paying attention to um you know the issues that we have to confront you know that are of the legal nature uh right now may uh you know may require the uh the attention of the legislature going forward
1: and, and chairman barless i mean we're we're talking about legislative redistricting one of the big decisions that that had to be made early in this process was on the recommendation of who the 11th member would be and and both parties submitted primarily former judges for a position that had traditionally going back to the 1960s been an academic a political science professor who 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 would be that independent member uh Chairman Barless, how did, how did this work out? Is this is this the new model that, that uh, a judge works?
3: Well, I mean, it certainly showed that a judge works. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And, and to your earlier point, Dave, I think, Leroy, if we're going to get the legislature to do stuff constitutionally, we should have them write in that, you know, this is uh, Judge Karshman's job until he doesn't want it anymore. Because uh, I don't know if anybody 10 years from now is going to give us a better result than what the judge did today, just on process alone. And I think this is... Look, you had a couple factors here. The two biggest things, I think, were Judge Karchman and his approach, his measured, his reasoned, his candid, his straightforward approach with us, and the ability of both sides to be willing to have this type of a discussion. And I think they both go hand in hand. You know, Dave, there was a point, and, you know, I'm sure I'll get yelled at for this later by the lawyers. There was a point where, you know, as we were dual tracking both a consensus map and our own submissions. You know, the judge called us in and said, hey, you guys have the opportunity to make history. Don't screw it up. And, I, look, as a, having been a staffer 10 years ago, I don't know if an academic would have had the ability to deliver that same message. And I don't know if it, if they had been able to, if it would have landed the way it did after Judge Karchman, you know, gave his remarks to us that day. So I think a lot of it goes to, you know, it's just – Hats off to the judge in terms of how he how he did it and how he pulled this all together. And the judge is right. I mean, he said it. This map is about the next 10 years and the VRA and all these other things. I mean, look, when you look at this map, you've got 17 majority-minority districts. You've got two districts that are on the cusp of being majority Hispanic, which will bring the number to four. So, yes, while well, we could maybe have had more uh, majority, 50 uh, percent plus one districts, we will. To, ju- to the judge's point, you have to look at this thing over the lifespan of its existence, not just a snapshot in time today.
1: Sure. Judge, did you ever at any point, did you ever draw your own map? Did you have one waiting in the wings in case? Uh, will you share it with a- us? <laughs> I didn't even ask that. I ju- I ju- I'm just looking to see if there was one. Ju- Judge, was. did you ever draw your own map? Did you ever say this is the map that I'd like to see? Well, you know, it's,
2: it's interesting. We... <laughs> we have this deliberative process that we went through and uh, uh, I'm not going to violate any confidences on the part of the, of the chairs or me as well. So uh, we're going to take a pass on that one, David. Fair uh, enough. Because that goes, that goes a bit beyond, that goes a bit beyond process. And by the way, you know, if I, if, if I'm here, or one of my successors is here in ten years, I want you know I'll tell them all the secret. So we'll take a pass.
1: There's going to be this secret book that you pass from tiebreaker yes, to tiebreaker going forward. But I mean, Ju- right. Judge Cartman, it's it's my impression. You I mean you didn't seek out this job. You were you were courted for it. Would would you do it again in 2020 2031? Do you know how
2: old I'm going to be in 2031? I do. You know? Yes,
1: but I'm going to be eight years older also, and I hope I'm still doing this. So.
2: Well, you know, uh, it's a little too early. This, this is this is a map for the next ten years. We'll, we'll, we'll worry about that. You know, well, you know I, ho- t- I hope I'm still around in at that point. That, well, that's how
1: I'm. That's as far as I'm willing to go. <laughs> well, I have to. I mean, look, it's it, it's no secret that I have been. You know, I I I have I've taken a close look at the the tiebreaker on congressional redistricting. I was. Uh, uh, I've 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 made my thoughts known on that. I was fairly critical. It it, it objectively to me uh, as an outsider looking in, it, it looks to me like like Judge Karchman did everything right. And I'm not I'm not hearing I'm not hearing any complaints about your your handling of this commission.
2: You want me to comment on that? Sure, I'll send you sure. a
1: list. <laughs> <laughs> I can I can um, comment on that,
4: Al. I can comment uh, on me that. Too. Sure.
1: Yeah. Chairman Jones, yeah. go yeah. ahead he he he
4: did everything right you know he you know he was uh you know that uh you know that guiding light you know that uh you know that calming force uh you know when you know it needed to be uh you know he set the tone uh you know he focused on you know the constitutional requirements he had his own standards uh you know which we all you know which we all stayed within uh you know as best we could and uh you know he was uh you know he was a gentleman he was fair You know, he had a temperament that, you know, was second to none, you know, at, you know, points, you know, you know, throughout the process, you know, there, you know, there was almost, you know, paternal advice to both Al and myself. It's an experience, you know, with a gentleman that I will never, ever forget. And, you know, I will always relish the fact and thank and be thankful for the honor of working with, you know, Judge Philip Karchman along with, you know, Al Barless.
1: Well, and I'll ask you, Chairman Barless. I mean, you, you you know the value I place on history, and I I remember right after World War II, both parties went to recruit General Eisenhower to run for president. Is there interest by by either of of you, Chairman Jones, Chairman Barless, about Karchman for governor twenty twenty five? Oh, please, I'll
3: recruit him for Give president me a break. Will you, <laughs> David?
1: I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I'm a, Judge. I'm going to I'm going to keep this uh, I'm going to keep this recording, and we'll 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 talk about that when the gubernatorial grace g, g- gets underway but but even
3: if I may I I will tell you one thing and to sort of piggyback off of what Leroy was saying about the judge being the right person for this job even when he said I want to make these maps public and we expressed our concerns about that the judge was was steadfast he said look I'll hear you guys out I'll take what you're saying under advisement maybe we can work it out we can figure some other way but at the end of the day, the judge made it very clear. He said, you know, come come hell or high water, these maps are going to be made public, and the public is going to participate in this process. And as painful as that might have been for us to hear at that point in time, in hindsight, you know, being 2020, he was 100% right. It was the right decision to make because while people may be unhappy about certain specifics of the map, nobody's complained about the process, and I think that is is a testament to – you know the judge's decision that process and substance were both equally important in this in this legislative reapportionment cycle
1: well and i, I- I I thank you both. I mean, but, you know, we this this went by much faster. And I I, you know that I could talk for hours about maps, but I don't I don't think I think the three of you are probably more tired of it than I am. So uh, I thank you very much. uh, Former Judge Philip Karchman, uh, Democratic State Chairman Leroy Jones, Essex County Republican Chairman Al Barless. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. And and maybe we'll get a chance after the election to 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 get together again and and talk about what the results of this map were or, or was. Well, i be delighted. You. By the way, I, I'm not I'm
2: not printing any campaign buttons or uh, stickers, so <laughs> don't worry about 2025. Well, it
1: sounds like Barlow hey, is take, already on it, so. <laughs>
3: hey, if we take control, if the Republicans take control in 2023, dinner's on me, guys. That's my promise. <laughs> hey, hey,
1: hey, one more,
4: th- and, hey, David, one more thing. Look, yes. you know, uh, the judge is an average uh, you know, Dodger fan, so. You know, blue is—you uh, know—blue is a a color that. Uh, <laughs> Here the, we go.
3: To, Here we go. You, know, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, I,
1: that's, you have no idea, idea how how similar this is to the courting of General Eisenhower. This is <laughs> this is like history over. But thank you, Judge Karchman, Chairman uh, Barless, Chairman Jones. Thank you for joining me, and we will be right. Uh, Back with more about New Jersey politics, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.
0: This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein.
1: Congressman Christopher Smith is serving his 21st term representing New Jersey in the U.S. House of Representatives. He is the senior member on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He's an expert on foreign policy and human rights. I'm grateful that he's joining me today to talk about what's happening in in Ukraine. Congressman Chris Smith, welcome. Uh,
5: Thank you so very much, David. Nice to be on with you. Well, thank you for coming on, yes,
1: Congressman. You. you you have called Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine hostile and unprovoked. Tell me tell me why why you think Putin is doing this in the first place.
5: Well, I think it is a larger the larger context is that he's been trying to regrow the Soviet Empire. I was actually in in the Republic of Georgia when he made his his effort to, and he took over South Ossetia and Abkhazia. Um, using the same pretext, he started to use with Ukraine uh, to liberate Russians who happen to be living uh, in that part of the Republic of Georgia. So it's it's a replay, in a way, of what he did then, uh, but it's much larger and it's extraordinarily lethal. Uh, I just had a meeting with about 150 uh, Ukrainians, part of the diaspora, living in at my office in Freehold. It went on for about three hours. Uh, It was kind of like a rally. First, it was inside the office, and then we went out and spoke. I went out and spoke to the the group. And they all have family members, friends, who are being butchered by Vladimir Putin. Uh, I believe, David, he should be held uh, as a war criminal. We need to establish a court, a hybrid court if necessary. If the U.N. won't do it, it ought to be done by a coalition of of democracies uh, to hold him to account Um, And like we did Slobodan Milosevic from Serbia when he invaded Croatia and uh, Bosnia, and as we did with um, Charles Taylor in Liberia uh, for the atrocities he committed, both of them were heads of state. And it needs to be done now with Putin. He is a monster, uh, and this is part of – and and the proximate trigger may have been, or at least enabled by, our egregiously flawed exodus from Afghanistan. And even Medvedev, Medvedev said it. Um, just recently, when he talked about the retreat from Afghanistan, uh, the, the deterrence factor of the United States was limited uh, and, and, and hurt uh, by that, among other things.
1: Of and c- Congressman, I mean, you you said I mean, President Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan, you you've said that empowered Putin, that it signaled to him that he could pursue his his aggression. I mean, does the. What, what does that mean now going forward for U.S. foreign policy?
5: You know, and I don't know if it was the only cause. I think it was, it was a, a part of the enabling. And we hear it from Xi Jinping all the time with regards to Taiwan. I mean, I, I work human rights issues there as well as in, you know, Russia and, and Belarus and, and elsewhere. But Xi Jinping in China keeps saying, um, and they're doing it through their propaganda organs to the people of Taiwan, hey, America won't have your back. Uh, they will not be for you uh, when we come marching in. So it's, you know, if you, you ever recall, David, you know, back in um, when when Kim invaded South Korea, one of the and it's arguable, but I think it's very persuasive. You know, when one of our secretaries of state said not, South Korea was not within our defense perimeter, it sent a message of of of, of questionable support for the South uh, Korean. People. So fast forward to right now, I think dictators around the world, whether it be in Iran, uh, China, North Korea, or Putin, um, they looked at that and they saw it as weakness. Uh, And maybe they would have gone anyway. We don't know that. But when Medvedev says that, he called it the cowardly retreat from Afghanistan, um, you know, it has not gone unnoticed, let's put it that way. So it is very serious. Uh, and the people today at my, my um, office, 150 people, wonderful, wonderful members of the diaspora from Ukraine, uh, all talking about family members who are hiding in their basements, uh, you know, uh, just worried beyond words, but also resolved that they will repulse this invasion uh, by Vladimir Putin.
1: And I'm speaking with Congressman Chris Smith, the senior member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, and and I mean, Ukraine is is outmatched militarily, but still we're, I mean, we're watching Ukrainian people resist the Russian army. We're watching civilian volunteers joining in to stop their advances. What what do you expect over the next few days? What do you expect to see there?
5: Well, I no one can have a crystal ball, obviously, because Putin is throwing everything at them. Uh, but you know, the defense minister of the Ukraine had asked uh, uh, Resnikov uh, for more Stinger missiles, for more for more javelins uh, to repel the tanks, and uh, I am glad that the administration provided another $350 million uh, to assist them. But frankly, we should have been doing much more uh, for months and years to make sure that they had a credible capability to repel, in other words, deterrence, so the Russians wouldn't even think about it.
1: In Congressman, I mean, President Zelensky appears, I guess he's intent on remaining in Kiev. Is is he safe? Is his family safe there?
5: Oh, it's, I, I don't think so, unfortunately, particularly with missiles and, and you know, MiGs and, and, and uh, cruise missiles dropping from the sky all over Ukraine. Uh, so they control the airspace and they control much of the ground. But again, that resilience on the part of the Ukrainian people If they have the capability, and again, the defense minister and Zelensky himself keep asking for more capacity. Remember, remember, David, when Portachenko, who was then the president, came to Congress during the Obama administration, and he said, we can't defend ourselves with blankets. We were giving only humanitarian aid then, uh, and they took Crimea, uh, part of Ukraine, uh, which they still have. And now, you know, they're taking a page out of, you know, do they have the ability to repel us? us being the Russians, and frankly, they need much more, and they should have been getting it systematically uh, for some time now. We're also concerned about the Americans. You know, a whole group of us are doing a letter to Blinken, Secretary of State, uh, asking how many Americans are there. What I mean, after Afghanistan, when we got wildly differing um, uh, uh, projections of how many Americans were left behind, uh, we're asking those questions right now because – Americans were at risk as well as others, uh, and Ukrainians themselves, as we all know, are at grave risk.
1: I, I mean, I, I don't know if I, admit, I think it was Georgia, two thousand eight. You, yep. I mean, you, I mean, you had to help two young girls from your district get out from behind enemy lines during a during a an act of Russian aggression.
5: Absolutely, David. You know, I got a call from the dad uh, uh, who, and we actually reached out to him when we heard that two of his daughters and the wife uh, were from Hal Township were behind. They were in South Ossetia, and we couldn't – and this was during the Bush administration. We couldn't get help for them. So I hopped in a plane one week after the invasion, went to Tbilisi and spent a week there, and we got not only those two young girls out, and we stay in touch with the family uh, all the time, uh, but many others who – other congressmen when they knew that I was going said, hey, I've got some constituents as well. So we work with the Red Cross. We work with the OSCE, which I work with. I've been the chairman of the Helsinki Commission for years, um, uh, and, and we were able – and the French ambassador actually helped us um, as well because they were the uh, chair of the, uh, of the European Union for those months. Uh, and we got those little girls out, and we got many others out as well. But the Russians, just like now, were working with the Chechens. You know, the Chechens are involved with this aggression as well. And they, like the Russian soldiers, are absolutely ruthless. Uh, so they need the material. They've got to resolve. There's no doubt about that. Zelensky's shown incredible metal and, and backbone. Um, and he did not flee. You know, he's there trying to rally his people. And our hope is, my hope is, that if they have enough weaponry, yes, make diplomacy work. But diplomacy only works when you have the firepower to back it up. And Putin respects only one thing, and that's force.
1: And I'm speaking with with the senior member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Congressman Chris Smith of New Jersey. I mean, Congressman, we saw we saw President Biden uh, uh, announce uh, a, a round of sanctions against against yes. Putin. I mean, Bob Menendez, U.S. Senator, has has proposed what's been described as the mother of of all sanctions. Uh, how how far will sanctions take? Uh, well, I, take I, I
5: think bank, uh, the bank sanctions especially are especially effective uh, you know, I, I've written four major laws on Belarus, which is now complicit in all of these crimes. Uh, they're already doing their own crimes against their own people. The Belarus Democracy Act holds individuals to account, but these new sanctions will go after their ability to be in transactions around the world. You know, and I think that was a very good move, uh, and I'm glad he did it. Uh, I listened to Secretary Yellen talk about that the other day, and she made a very, very good case. But I think we need to go even further. We need to go uh, with SWIFT and make sure that their ability to utilize that means, um, you know, it's the Society of uh, Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. And I think we need to go after their capacity to – Export oil and certainly barred from coming to the United States of America. You know, when, when Biden allowed for the pipeline to go from Russia to Germany and then said our own pipeline, as he did when he first came into office, is null and void, uh, he got it completely reversed. Make sure Putin's pipeline is canned and ended uh, and stopped, and it stopped on the short term now, and opened up our own pipeline so we're more energy independent because money that he gets, hard currency, keeps his military going. And without that money, um, you know, and, and now we're talking about $100 a barrel, he's going to have a windfall because of his oil uh, capabilities and, and capacity. So bar that immediately. And, again, I'm thinking uh, I'm going to do a, a resolution and call for Uh, A international tribunal And I've worked on these before With uh, Yugoslavia uh, Sierra Leone And with Rwanda Uh, And at the end of the day Some very horrible people uh, Including Charles Taylor And Slobodan Milosevic uh, You know Milosevic died during the trial When Charles Taylor is in prison for 50 years Uh, We need a war crimes tribunal It'll be hard to get Because the UN Security Council They have veto power And the Chinese will be with them Hand in glove but then we need to think outside the box and go with a, a coalition of democracies to finally you know, begin holding these people to account. A war criminal is what Putin is, and Putin needs to be stopped. We could also try the ICC, International Criminal Court. Uh, but again, that, that's, they have been very weak uh, globally um, you know, in terms of bringing true prosecutions, but it's worth a try.
1: Well, Congressman, I mean, and we we only have a couple of seconds left, but sure. but this is an election year. Can can this Congress come together uh, to to show a united front from the United States on this issue?
5: Sure, I think we need a united front, especially when it comes to military aid. Uh, immediately, you know, uh, you know, we left what eighty billion, whatever that number was, of sophisticated hardware to the Taliban in Afghanistan. Well, we're giving about a billion. Uh, which is, you know, 180th of what we allowed the Taliban to get in Afghanistan uh, to our friend and ally and fellow democracy, Ukraine. So that number has to be upped immediately uh, to give them, again, what they need the most, aircraft, you know, Stinger missiles, uh, Javelin uh, to knock out the tanks, and, of course, the capability to, to expand their you know, on, on the ground, um, you know, their, their, their weapon systems.
1: Understood. I, I have been now. speaking with Congressman Christopher Smith, senior member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Congressman, I hope you come back and talk more about this at another time. And thank you, everybody, for listening today. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. And you have been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.